You're listening to the Rough Draft Podcast, Season 10, Episode 8, where I sit down and talk with Linda Amos, who's a graduate of York College of Pennsylvania. She started a literary magazine called ESP, which stands for Essays, Stories, and Poetry, which is the precursor to the current literary magazine on campus, The York Review. The York Review just recently came out with Volume 27, we will keep you guys updated. We may have a launch party for that in the near future. So just keep your ear out for that and check us out on social media, The York Review. Also, before we get into it, uh, this episode comes out on November 15th, which is a Monday. And November 11th, which is the Thursday before this episode comes out, is Veterans Day. So we wanted to take a moment to thank everyone in the York College community and all of our listeners who served in the armed forces to protect our country. We are very thankful for the sacrifices that you made. Well, without further ado, let's get into the interview. This was recorded over a phone call, so the audio quality isn't going to be quite what you might be used to, but it's still a great interview nonetheless. Hope you enjoy. being recorded. Hi, my name is Ben Yojis. I'm calling for the Rough Draft podcast. Yes, very glad to hear your voice. Thank you so very much for calling. I didn't have long distance to return a call and confirm that I'd be here today, but thank you. That is all right. How are you doing today? I'm blessed. I'm over my non-contagious bronchitis, and I made it through being judge of elections yesterday, so here come the judge. Yeah. We had a very poor turnout in York County. Uh, Please inform your uh, fellow workers that we are always looking for judges. They have to be over the age of 18, live in York County, uh, call the Department of uh, Voter Registration at 771-9604 and tell them they're available to be the judge. We'd love to have them. There's over 100 places where people can vote. We have a very dedicated voting staff. Unfortunately, turnout was sh- very poor yesterday. I will be sure to pass that message along. I personally Please. don't live in York, but mm-hmm. I know a bunch of people who do. So. Well, well, you can work in your county. I've worked in other counties, and uh, I just happen to really like the town where I was born. Thank you. And so I try to support democracy because my generation is the one that uh, we could be sent off to war, but we couldn't vote. And so we fought very hard to change that, and that's why I've never missed a vote since I turned 21 when the law changed. Well, it is a very important right, the right to it vote. It absolutely is. <laughs> Only in this country can we change entire regimes and not one bullet passes out of a cartridge, you know, and not one person is harmed. So continue to vote and remind your friends when they're home to think about getting absentee ballots. And, you know, your college could be its own precinct. We really could. We have enough people on campus to do it. And they could swing a vote by all those students who are over the age of 18 who now reside in York County getting the right to vote and then casting their ballot. So you're calling in regards to the fact that I have took 15 years to go through your college or the fact that I am so perseverant I wasn't going to give up getting my dream of being first generation of my generation getting their college degree. 
Um, both of those, and um, you were one of the founding members for the ESP magazine. So Actually, I was that. the person who came up with the concept of it, but unfortunately, uh, the person who was our uh, college representative, he felt that it shouldn't just fall on one person, so a person who was a part-time student stepped in on my glory and everything. But uh, wow. it was called Essays, Short Stories, and Poetry, and uh, Dr. Kolbicki was furious about that, thinking we were into ESP. Thank you. And uh, I had written from both my high school literary magazine, which was the Pennings at York High. That was when I got my first opportunity to really be published. And then that's, that season I had the first student front page column of a youth column across the nation. It was in the York Dispatch and the auspices of Bob Young. And then uh, after that, I wrote for an Upward Bound, because I was one of those prep kids that went to the Upward Bound program over at F&M, and I wrote on our newspaper, and then came back to West Shore Carey High School, where they wouldn't start a literary magazine, though I did edit it, and I worked very hard, and I also worked on the student newspaper, and then I did a number summer at uh, Franklin and Marshall College, and learned about all kinds of other literary magazines out there, and... Um, I was granted a four-year free ride to Point Park College. Unfortunately, I was a minor, and the day I enrolled in school, my father disenrolled me at gunpoint. So then my career was put back a whole year, and my only option was to go to York College of Pennsylvania because I could walk there. So I started in uh, September of 69, and I walked to school, and I walked home. Wouldn't have never even thought to take a bus because my lifestyle was very compromised that time. And I uh, was very involved in uh, changing the policies of the college. First of all, Dean DeMeester knew me well, and a couple other people, including Dr. Miller, understood that I had already been in a school that encouraged college activities. So we dressed like college students at West York Area Junior Senior High School. We were expected to support ourselves like that, and we got an excellent education at West York. I only went to York High for one year, and I had a phenomenal teacher, a guy named Theodore Favey who stood up in front of our class the first day of class, and he said, I love my wife. And I'm like, oh, great, the teacher's going to talk about his life. And he says, I cannot afford to maintain my family on a teacher's salary, and this is the last year I'm going to teach. And I thought, oh, no, I heard all these great stories about this wonderful English teacher. And he looked at me and said, and you're the student I'm going to teach to. That was about the 17th or 18th of September of 1966, and I stood at his funeral decades later and said, I would not be the person I am today if it were not for this man. People actually yeah. called me his honorary other child, which I thought was great, and he came to my book signings, if you can imagine that. But he was one of the few teachers I had to truly recognize that when I had been very, very ill as a small child and they changed me left-handed to right-handed, I became dyslexic. So I had this hidden learning disability for years. I was a great oral learner, but boy, put it on the board, I couldn't translate it back to the paper. And I have a terrible time with spelling. I can't spell the word through, vacation, unless I sing it. Thorough, can't do that. I have a hard time typing A, the, were, there, and about 30 other words. Now, when you're writing and you're using all the to-be verbs, <laughs> this is what you do. And I often have to have my word uh, always proofed. And sometimes I type things that aren't exactly true. Like, I used to do press releases, and I wrote, the York County Gospel Choir will be sinning 
on Sunday at so-and-so church. Please join us to sin. <laughs> Needless to say, the editor got that one. I don't think that's what she meant. <laughs> but these things happen. And now, unfortunately, I've been uh, locked out of the Martin Library for more than two years, so I've lost all my computer skills. But I used to cut a lot of press releases for different organizations and, of course, for my own poetry. But I wrote uh, poetry from the time I'm 11 years old. My father wrote for 30 years, and his father wrote for 60 years. And we believe that his father, who came from Germany, wrote also. So I say ink is in the blood, but I'm not being facetious because my mother worked for a newspaper for 21 years. I worked on the Spartan for five, and then I was an intern at the York Daily Record when it was truly a gritty newspaper. And, of course, I had the first poem in the Poet's Corner, the York Dispatch, which is pretty darn cool. And my poetry was published in not only Delta College, Franklin and Marshall, but Millersville, and then York College of Pennsylvania, and then it went on to be in the literary magazine. But I've been a registered poet for more than 50 years. I belonged to the Poetry Society of Pennsylvania. I belonged to the Poetry Society of Virginia. I belonged to the Poetry Society of Texas. And I created my own business in 1991. It's called The Word Right Shop. And it's a playoff on the work right shop, okay. And uh, I publish small press books. I've published 16 of my own. I do press releases for a lot of organizations. And today I'm public affairs officer for Civil Air Patrol Squadron 301, one of the longest continuous uh, organizations in the nation, actually founded in 1949 at the Thomasville Airport. And I encourage my students there, who are 13 through 20, to write and I think that uh, we're going to rue the day that computers were created because there will be no love notes coming home from war, and people won't be keeping journals, and someday we'll all evaporate into cyberspace, which is such a tragedy. Right. Are they going to resurrect EST at the college? I keep hoping. Every year I ask the Alumni Association that. Um, I think it's kind of morphed into the York Review. Um, okay. It kind of okay. does the same sort of thing. All right. Well, I met a young man who works for the college, and he's involved with the review, and he's also a published poet. And uh, sometimes I see him on First Fridays, and I uh, sometimes can pick up some random copies of the the York Review. But we really need to keep the arts and poetry alive. Right now, budgets are being kind of constrained, and they're buying things like metal detectors in school rather than encouraging uh, people in the community to come in and teach the students different arts. Like I have a friend who, 35 years, he's been a Bob Ross-style teacher of painting, and uh, he's old, okay, but he still has a talent to give to others. And I know I teach at the Ollie every now and then, which is the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, and I talk to people 50, 60, 70, 80, and 90 who are going to get around to writing a story, or they're going to get around to starting their journal, or they're going to write their eulogy. God bless them for that. Or maybe their obituary, because who knows you better than you do. And uh, it's very uh, amusing to see these people say, well, I've carried this journal around for 22 years. I'm like, did you ever put pen to paper, though? Well, no, I'm a little intimidated by all that blank space. I said, sir, it's got lines on it. It's not that blank. And then when you sit down with us, say, just say, who are you? In my case, I would say, hi, I was Linda Susan Gardner until 1970, and then I became Linda S. Veda. Then I married a guy from York College called David Michael Slough. He became a 
nationally recognized goldsmith. And then I married my brother's best friend, and I became Linda Amos. And I've been holding on to being Linda Amos ever since. I have two grown sons, one who's a rocket scientist, if you can imagine that, and one who sells windows and doors and has two sons, and they're both writers. So we're continuing to to push the idea that ink truly does run our blood. I want to circle back to the um, essays, stories, and poetry magazine that Mm -hmm. you started. Um, Can you describe it? Like, what was the planning behind it? How did you get it started? What kind of stuff did you guys do? Well, I basically modeled it on Penning's literary magazine for William Penn Senior High School, which was the work of students. And we put out a submission call for essays, short stories, and poetry. At that time, some of the funding was coming from Bob Huffman, who was my honorary godfather. And uh, not many responses came in. Now, we were still putting out the the Spartan, you know, as often as we could, and that was done in hard layout and paste up and things like that. And it was very hard to get a sponsor for the magazine because nobody thought it would really float. Uh, They didn't see there was a real hard demand for it. We didn't really have any hard poetry competitions there at the college. And, in fact, I've never even entered the Bob Huffman competition because I've never been on campus to find out when it was and what the criteria was to enter it. Uh, The copy was going to be inexpensively printed. This other girl and I, well, I ended up typing 90% of it, thank you. And uh, we didn't have a lot of money to print a lot of copies. And when they came out, they were almost all gone within three days. Yeah, we ran out of funding after the third beginning issue, which was bad. And uh, they kept the funding up for the student-sponsored, the Spartan. And I think the powers that be at the college thought, oh, we don't really need a literary magazine. But we were graduating English majors, people that were going into journalism. And so it was important that we would have had a very substantial literary magazine. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with the fact that they host the Beale Poetry Festival down at Baylor University. And 700 poets converge on that. Or over in New Jersey, for 10 days, there's a big Geraldine R. Dodge uh, festival over there. And I just feel like, for many times, I have been banging my head against the wall trying to keep both the written word and the printed word alive and well, especially in York County. There's a line that says, you know, you're never uh, a favorite in your own community. And yet, I will tell you that ever since I started writing letters to the editor, I've realized the power of the press. I really have. It is true, the pen is much more mighty than the sword is. And I was one of those girls who lost her boyfriend in Vietnam. I lost him about eight days after he proposed, and he was killed during the Tet Offensive. And that was February 7th of 1968, so I was a senior in, in high school. And I created a poem in his honor, about uh, him and and Val, you might talk about someone, but you don't think about them every day and every hour, but that doesn't mean there's not a part of your life. And I spent uh, 53 years telling people about Private First Class William L. Young, U.S. Marine Corps, killed in Da Nang Province, Vietnam. And his, his death really came home to me on September 11th when I'm standing in a bank and this man says, hey, Linda, I hear you're an observer. I went, yeah, uh-huh. He says, well, I bet you're not flying today. I said, no, sir, I'm going to work for PennDOT. He says, well, I heard a plane flew into the World Trade Center. I said, stupid. It's a no-fly zone. 
I didn't even get into work, and my insurance agent grabbed me, and she said, come back in the hallway. You've got to see this. She had a little TV on. And I watched a plane fly in the World Trade Center. That night when I came home and said to my mother, Mother, we've gone to war, I composed a poem called Waging Peace. And I started presenting that poem right after that event. On September 11th, one year to the day, 700 people sat in pews at St. Matthew's Evangelical Lutheran Church, my neighborhood church, and I read my poem called Waging Peace. And I have been submitting this poem out to any publication that will print it. This year it was printed 10 times. And when we dedicated the Vietnam War Memorial, that poem and a biography of Billy and his obituary and, and a poem about him I handed out to 500 people. And so the people that are in our lives, we keep them alive by writing. We keep them alive by remembering them. Because the hardest thing you can ever say about someone is, I forgot. No one wants to have lived on this earth and not be remembered. And think about it. November 19th, people are going to be saying, four score and seven years ago. And they're going to remember what Abraham Lincoln wrote on an envelope. And tomorrow, someone's going to say something, and it will be written down, if not on the Internet, if not on Facebook, then in a newspaper. And people will be remembered, and we will be remembering them as long as the printed word is on a page. It is, I think, uh, like, written word is like a much more powerful it's a way to convey thoughts and what's going on in the world. It, it's, it's so hearing, hearing about it is just different. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, there, there's plenty of small presses out there, like this one called Bear Creek in Longmont, Colorado. They take people's poetry and succinct poems and haiku and print them in this little booklet that's two inches by eight inches. It fits inside a, a business envelope. They send it all over the nation. People submit to them poetry and succinct poetry, Bear Creek Haiku, it's called. And they are keeping their costs down by saying, please send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. Please send us your poetry. No, we can't pay you, but we're going to keep haiku alive. Now, in Japan, the emperor hosts a haiku competition. He gets thousands of haiku, and they award like five grand for a 17-syllable based on nature, no punctuation, no capitalization, poem. Wow. wow. People still write stories. People still write poems. People still write plays. People, of course, write commercials, because uh, I wrote help, plenty of those. And, and people are constantly trying to keep what they have to say, which is significant, alive. In your lifetime, you've seen poetry on T-shirts, placards, probably on embroidery. You've seen it on billboards. You've seen it on uh, Slate. You've seen it in, uh, as cursive around a, a, an art article or maybe a piece of art. The written word is so powerful. Indira Gandhi said, if mankind dies and there's no written word, who will tell our story? And you think about it, the most read book in the world is the Bible. It's over, you know, thousands of years old. The stories are told over and over again because it's about human nature. And people quote it every single day. 
There's a line that says, if a man does not work, a man does not eat. That's great. I used to quote to my kids, 10 basic rules for living. And I described the Bible as basic instruction before leaving the earth. And it's very profound. When they did a call in 2000, said, what was the most significant thing that happened in the last 2,000 years? I'm thinking, the invention of penicillin. Yes, it saved my life. And they said, no, movable type. Because of the Gutenberg Bible, it could be printed and disseminated to thousands of people instead of hand-copied by scribes, by candlelight, letter by letter, and then someone else counted every single letter so nothing was altered on the page. How many churches owned four or five pages of the Bible? That was it. Now, everybody in their house has a Bible. It's, like I said, the number one selling book. It's probably the least book read, but it is one of the books that's quoted almost all the time. So the printed word is very, very significant, and this is why I push for my college to continue with the Spartan and hard copy, to go back to having creative words. And I, I still think we should have poetry contests there at my home school. Yeah, we do the, um, there's a Bob Hoffman writing competition every year mm-hmm. um, that offers a prize for poetry, short story, and creative nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Now, um, are they published in the York Review? Not often, no. Uh, So students can decide if they want their work published in the York Review Mm -hmm. to also be submitted for Bob Hoffman. Um, But there's not like a direct correlation between the two, no. We we really need to think about doing that because that's going to be there for longevity in the future. And Bob used to always believe that, you know, having good health and exercise was great. I mean, he was Olympian. But he also believed that a man's character told so much about him. And his life was chronicled in a great biography also. And uh, we need to tell those stories. I mean, there was a guy in town called E. Vonnie Grimes. Wrote his biography, Bridging Troubled Waters, at age 85. Yeah, at 75 he took up playing harmonica. And uh, he was still singing at 94. He was doing 100 sit-ups every day. He was a Marine, what would you expect? And uh, his book, Bridging Troubled Waters, is not the best book. But it's a good book, and it's a book that children should read because he was a man who kept his word, and that was very important. And uh, my church is First Presbyterian Church. We put out books about our church because we were the first integrated church in America. Imagine, December 25, 1964, Old Faith, which was on North Duke Street, merged with First Presbyterian Church and all 1,400 members. And uh, we did it with a guy named Doug Park, who was an acquaintance of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And we made history by doing that. And First Presbyterian Church makes history every single day by keeping their doors open, being a church that's an urban church, you know, it's particularly attended by suburbanites. But we affect the lives of 600 people around that church every single day. It's a landmark. And it's, you know, a beautiful building. It's like a little old lady with her slip hanging out. It requires a lot of work and maintenance. And we do a lot of good in the community. But many people walk by that church and have never set foot in the church, and yet it's got a great story to tell. Our, our cemetery has got a sign or the Declaration of Independence in it, and that's part of our history there. But like I said, we need to talk about not only his stories, but her stories. York's had great women. I'd like to get a book put out called uh, Those Who Graduated from York, both York College and York, Pennsylvania, because you think Mayor C. Kim Bracey graduated from York. 
and we've had doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs graduate from York College in York, Pennsylvania. Michael Helfrich, York College, you know, York, he's a mayor. My goodness, this is just great. And uh, so many people in this community can say, I have my story to tell, but not all the stories are being told. All right. We just had one more question for you. Um, yes, sir. You kind of mentioned... You kind of mentioned your own uh, writing and poetry earlier. Where can our listeners find some of your work? Well, I have the Word Write Shop, which is now out of 1027 West Poplar Street, York, Pennsylvania, 17404. Uh, they can read it online. If they Google me, I am on LinkedIn. And unfortunately, uh, I can't communicate with people because my Y and Phi is not up. But uh, I carry on a lot of correspondence. My work is in Pancakes um, in Heaven, which is out of St. Germain, Wisconsin. It's in Poetry Protocol Syndicate, which is out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's um, uh, at Lone Star Magazine out of San Antonio, if you can imagine that. Um, I, I had books in the community. I've given them to lots of small libraries. I've given away hundreds of copies of my work. And... Uh, uh, it's also in uh, Conceit Magazine, which is now out of Oakland, California. And um, I have some in public libraries. Yeah. But I have books for sale. My latest book, which is in print, is called Never Postpone Joy. I bet you know where that title came from, uh, because we've had to postpone everything during COVID. And on the front cover, I'm being kissed by a camel, and I'm laughing. And the back cover is a photograph of me because, you know, books sell 50% by their back cover by my church uh, secretary, Cindy Fields. She did a great photograph of me that just captures the image of who I am. But uh, I carry the books with me usually every day. I give them away, and I try to sell some because the cost of printing books is expensive. The book I want to finish someday will be called Country Living, a Free Verse Poetry Anthology. And my haiku book that's coming out in 22 is called Haiku for You. doesn't get much shorter than that. And that's going to allegedly have 100 haiku in, and some pen and ink illustrations. I'm just having a hard time getting the font style settled on. And you know you cannot buy rice paper because it was not essential last year. So we're being held up by not being able to buy paper, of all things. Thank you. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and talking to us today. It was oh, a lot more of than really welcome. interesting uh, and let's continue to hope that we have students that come from your College of Pennsylvania who go on to write not only his stories, but her stories, who go on to journal, who encourage their children, their grandchildren to pick up a book and read. I always say that what you read never gets lost. It doesn't. And I've traveled to the moon and beyond in books. And uh, we're going to hope that people continue to use our beautiful library at your college. And we're going to hope that someday people will start thinking about endowing the college with their own personal library so we can expand the library. And I'm going to contribute and thank everyone who supports the petite libraries around town. That's one of the places where I smuggle books, including my books, into. And every time you open the door, it's empty because people have taken books home to read, enjoy, treasure, and maybe pass on to someone else. All right. Well, thank you again. We really appreciate it. Thank you, dear. Bye-bye now. God bless. 